Welcome everybody for week one of Kingdom. For the, for the next month, we're going to be exploring one of the most important and at the same time one of the most misunderstood aspects of our faith and that is the kingdom of God. I say it's one of the most important aspects of our faith because Jesus did. Right? Jesus talked about the kingdom of God almost more than any other topic. In fact, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom of God. I mean, think about it, right? When Jesus launched his public ministry and declared his life's mission on this earth, he said, I have come to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Look at the parables, these stories that Jesus used to teach his followers, many of them. Many of them started with the phrase, the kingdom of God is like. And then he would go on to tell a story. It's obvious that Jesus spent a lot of time, energy, and effort trying to teach his followers to understand the kingdom of God. The Beatitudes, right, that we just finished going through, these opening statements of blessing in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes begin with and end with a promised blessing of inheriting the kingdom of God. The Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that Jesus gave us his followers to pray, he says that we should pray for the kingdom of God to come. In fact, Jesus just basically said, if you're my follower, the kingdom of God should be your priority. In fact, notice what Jesus says there on the top of your outline. Matthew 6, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. That's pretty clear, right? And yet, as important as the kingdom of God is to us as Jesus' followers, the truth is most of us are not 100% sure that we know what the kingdom of God is. I mean, in fact, if somebody were to ask you today, define the kingdom of God, could you do that? If the answer is yes, congratulations, you're in a very small minority of Christians. If the answer is no, congratulations, you've come to the right place because we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God over the next several weeks. Now, it's interesting, the concept of, of a kingdom is not new to us. It's, it's been a part of culture for thousands of years. It's been ingrained into our popular culture here in America. You know, we're fascinated with Camelot, right? A kingdom. Think about all of the Disney movies that take place in a kingdom. Uh, even more recently, like the Netflix, Netflix series Crown or, or HBO's Game of Thrones, many of the video games that are coming out now that are popular are based on a kingdom, building and expanding an empire, you know, and competing with others who are trying to build an empire. This concept of kingdom is woven into the fabric of our culture, but you need to also understand it's woven through the pages of God's Word. 
Not just in the red letter words of Jesus in the Gospels, but throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. In fact, the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven appears over a hundred times in the Bible in both the New and the Old Testament. And so today, let's just start with a basic question. What is it? What is the kingdom of God? Well, when you think of a kingdom, there are typically certain elements or aspects that are required for a kingdom to exist. Like, for example, in order to have a kingdom, you got to have a king, right? A sovereign, somebody to rule over the kingdom. Not only do you need a king, but that king needs to have a reign, not R-A-I-N, R-E-I-G-N. At least I think that's how it's spelled. But I'm talking about the king has a will, a set of values that are imposed in his kingdom. The king reigns over the kingdom. Also, to have a kingdom, you got to have people. you got to have subjects, people that are under the sovereignty of the king and who are fulfilling the, the reign, the will, the values of the king. And then lastly, you got to have a place. Right, A geographic area, a kingdom has to exist somewhere. When you think about a kingdom, you think about a nation or a region, and maybe that kingdom expands over time, maybe it contracts, but there's a, a place that it's located. Here's what you need to understand. All of those things exist in the kingdom of God, but they're fleshed out very differently in his kingdom than they are in earthly kingdoms. So what is this kingdom of God? Interestingly, do you know what the number one question people ask me about the kingdom of God? The thing I hear more and more from people when they ask about the kingdom of God is this. Is the kingdom of God the same as the kingdom of heaven? Are those the same or are those two different things? Because in the New Testament, just looking at the New Testament, the phrase kingdom of God appears 68 times in 10 different books in the New Testament. The phrase kingdom of heaven appears 32 times in the New Testament, but only in one book. It's only found in the Gospel of Matthew. And because of that, most scholars believe that Matthew used the phrase kingdom of heaven as a euphemism for kingdom of God, as a way to say the same thing, because Matthew wrote primarily to a Jewish audience. And Jews, the Hebrews, were super sensitive about God's name. They never said God's name out loud. In fact, if they wrote Yahweh, the Hebrew name for God, if they wrote it, they only wrote the consonants. They left out the vowels. They were so afraid of offending God, of taking his name in vain, that they stayed a thousand miles away from it. They avoided it as much as they could. And so most scholars believe Matthew just said kingdom of heaven as not to offend his audience so that the message of the kingdom of God could get through to them. Now, I don't know. I'm not Matthew. I never even met Matthew. I don't know if that's 100% accurate. I just know it kind of makes sense to me. But here's the deal. Whether you call it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, the question still remains, what is it? And so this morning I want to look at three basic truths about the kingdom of God. 
three things that every one of us as followers of Jesus should know about God's kingdom. Now let me just say up front, this list is not meant to be exhaustive. No way in one message can I totally encompass the kingdom of God. I mean, come on, it's God's kingdom. I won't even be able to do it in the next four weeks. What I'm talking about this morning are just some basic truths, some core truths about the kingdom of God that we need to understand. So you ready? Make sense? We're tracking? All right, let's go. First thing you need to understand about the kingdom of God is that it is where the power of God is evident. Anywhere and everywhere you see God's power displayed, that is the kingdom of God. When you see God's power displayed in the past, in the present, or in the future, that is the kingdom of God. Why? Because you can't have a kingdom without a king who exercises power and authority over that kingdom. David in the Old Testament understood this connection, right? Because he was a king and had a kingdom. He understood the connection between power and kingdom. Look at what he says, Psalm 103, 19. He says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules where? What does it say? Over all. See, the kingdom of God is not just confined to heaven. The kingdom of God is everywhere. It's all around us because God's power is all around us. Think about it this way. The first expression of God's power that was revealed to us as human beings is what? What is the first thing we know about God's power? I'll give you a hint. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God what? He spoke the universe into existence. That's God's power. That is the kingdom. And God spoke his kingdom into existence in this physical world in a place called Eden, right? In the garden. And because it was God's kingdom, everything was perfect because the king was sovereign. Everything was perfect. Nature was perfect. Relationships were perfect. The relationship with God was perfect. Why? Because that's what it's like when the sovereign king rules over his kingdom. But then sin entered the kingdom. And when it did, it fractured the kingdom of God, but it did not end it. It did not send the kingdom of God into exile in heaven when sin entered the world. It just fractured it. How do I know that? Because God's power is still evident in our world. We see the power of God in his promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a huge nation. We see God's power when he takes a million of those descendants of Abraham and frees them from Egypt. We see God's power when he leads them into the promised land and they overthrow nations, fortified nations that are bigger and stronger than them. The walls of Jericho did not fall because the nation of Israel were really good at marching in circles and could blow the horn really loud. The the walls of Jericho came down because God's power was released. You see God's power in the prophets. You see God's power in the birth and life and miracles and resurrection of Jesus. You see God's power in the birth and expansion of the New Testament church. And if you're looking, you can see God's power all around you today. And the reason it's important to understand this because there are some who believe that the kingdom of God existed on earth in Eden 
But it will not exist again on earth until Jesus returns. And the problem with that view is it causes you to become overly focused about some great thing that's going to happen to you and happen in the world in the future and miss the opportunities to be a part of the kingdom of God right around you right now. Kind of like that saying. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. The Apostle Paul understood this connection between God's power and God's kingdom. Look at what he writes, 1 Corinthians 4.20. He said, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of what? Power. A little context on this verse. Paul planted and led this church in the city of Corinth for a pretty good period of time. And while he was there as their pastor, the power of God was seen in the midst of that church. There's no doubt about it. So then Paul leaves to go start another church, and when he leaves, some smooth-talking snakes start speaking to this church and trying to lead this church by saying, you know, Paul, he wasn't all that. Paul didn't tell you everything. Paul's not that, that great. He's not really of God. You need to listen to us. And so Paul writes this letter and says, look, the kingdom of God ain't about talk. The kingdom of God is about God's power. And when I was with you, you saw God's power on display. And because of that, you can trust that I am working for the kingdom. As a Christ follower, we should desire to see God's power in our life. We should desire to see God's power unleashed in our church, in our community, in our nation, and in our world. In fact, Jesus says, don't just desire it, seek it. Seek it above all else. Seek God's power in your life and in the life of his church, not for your glory, not for your benefit, but for the glory of the king and the advancement of his kingdom. That's the whole purpose of a king's power, is to give the king glory and to advance the king's reign. So how do you do that? How do you access God's power into your life for the advancement of God's kingdom? Well, obviously it starts with prayer, right? Prayer is not just us asking God to, to fix our problems and soothe our wounds. Prayer gives God access to God's power to the needs, the struggles, the issues in our lives. Pray for it. Ask for it. Now, sometime back, this, this thing took root in the American Christian church. It was huge. They were writing books about it. There were devotions about it. There were videos about it. There were bumper stickers. There was jewelry. It was this thing called the Prayer of Jabez. And y'all remember that? I mean, it was huge. It made a lot of money for the Christian culture, for sure. It was a big deal, which is weird because the whole thing was based on a single passage, a single prayer of a pretty insignificant king in the nation of Israel named Jabez. And his prayer was simply this. He said, God, bless me, expand my influence, expand my kingdom so I can make much of you. What's he praying? God, unleash your power in my life, not for me, but so that your kingdom can be advanced. You need to pray and ask God to release his power into your life. But not only do you access God's power through prayer, Because he's not a genie in a bottle. You also access it through obedience. Through obedience. Doing what the king says do. The more in line you are with the king's will, the more the king's power is going to show up in your life. So let me ask you two questions. 
One, where do you need God's power right now? Where do you need a miracle? In your marriage, your finances, your kids' lives, your work, your health? Where do you need the king's power to show up? Wherever it is, pray. And you say, I have, Philip. Keep on praying. Keep on asking God's power to show up. But the second thing I would say is what step of obedience do you need to take right now? Maybe there's a relationship you're in. You know it's not honoring the king. Not a good reflection on the kingdom. Maybe it's a habit, a secret compulsion that you keep trying to overcome, but it keeps overcoming you. Maybe it's a deep, deep hurt that comes out of that. I don't know. I just know if you want the king's power unleashed in your life, you need to ask the king and you need to line up your heart and more importantly your life, your behaviors and choices with the king. Because the kingdom of God is where the power of God shows up. Number two, the second thing you need to understand about the kingdom of God is that it is where the presence of God is experienced. See, the kingdom of God is not just seen in the king's power. The kingdom of God is experienced in the king's presence. You ever been out in nature, maybe some beautiful area on vacation, and just looking at the beauty of creation around you, just been overwhelmed with the feeling of God's presence? You ever had that happen? Have you, have you ever been in prayer or worship and just felt God's presence in a palpable way? You ever been reading in God's word and just go, whoa, I think God just spoke to me. I think God understands and he's telling me something. You ever felt God's presence in a struggle? You ever felt his presence in a dark, dark, lonely, painful night? If you haven't, if you don't feel God's presence in your life ever, then you may be missing the key element to God's presence in your life, and that is a personal relationship with Jesus. That's the key to be in the kingdom. Look, you can get joy out of nature all you want, but apart from Jesus, you're just a nature lover. You can show up every Sunday and sing every word of every song at the top of your voice, but apart from Jesus, it's just noise. You can spend hours in God's Word every day, memorize it, know it back to front, Greek and Hebrew. But apart from Jesus, all you'll ever be is a biblical scholar. Jesus is the only way to enter the kingdom of God. And it's through our relationship with Him that we get to be a part of the kingdom of God. Don't take my word for it. Look at what Jesus says. The very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Some of his first words spoken, Mark 1, 15. Jesus said, the time has come. In other words, it's now. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You catch that? Jesus doesn't just usher the kingdom of God on earth. He gives us access to that kingdom through repentance of sin and faith in him. And not only does Jesus give us access to the kingdom, but it's in and through him that we get to be an active part of advancing his kingdom. 
You know, it's interesting. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they asked Jesus a lot of questions. And almost always, it was to trap him, right? They were always trying to trick him. There's only one time in Scripture that I see where the Pharisees asked Jesus a question not to trap him because they really wanted an answer. They really wanted to know. You know what the question is? When will the kingdom of God come? That's what they asked Jesus. Look at his answer, Luke 17, 21. He said, you won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. Why? For the kingdom of God is already among you. Jesus is saying, I'm right here. You don't need signs. You don't need to keep searching the prophecies. You don't need a blood moon or the stars to align. I'm standing right in front of you. The most amazing thing to me about the Pharisees we, we view them as hypocrites and religious elitists, and in many ways there were, but they were sincere about one thing, and that was the coming kingdom of God. That was the driving motivation of their life. They wanted to be a part of the kingdom of God, and here the kingdom of God is literally standing in front of them, and they missed it. And I wonder... How many times in my own life have I missed the kingdom of God right in front of me because I was focused on the kingdom of this world? Or, or more likely, I was focused on the kingdom of me, what I wanted, what I thought the king ought to do, how I thought the king ought to run this place. Let me just tell you, it is so easy to be distracted in our culture today, with the shiny trinkets of the kingdom of this world, to run after them than it is to see the kingdom of God right in front of you. But you got to have his presence with you. So how do I experience his presence? If I'm a believer, if I have a relationship with Jesus, how do I experience his presence? There are many ways. One you've done this morning, corporate worship. God said, I inhabit the praise of my people. The other is God's word, connecting with God's truth. Prayer. Right? I have a friend of mine, when he prays, he takes an empty chair, puts it right in front of him, and in his mind he imagines Jesus is sitting right there. Why? Because Jesus is with you. When you connect in authentic community with other believers... When you connect with two or three or ten or twelve, Jesus said, I'm there with you. If you gather in my name, two or three, I am there with you. Another way you can experience the presence of God, of just recognize that Jesus is with you no matter where you go. Recognize, you don't have to take Jesus with you. He's going with you. You just need to recognize he's there. Like when I was a kid, my parents used to use that to try to monitor my behavior, right? Try to control me. You going to that house party? Don't forget, Jesus is going with you. You going off to college? Don't forget, Jesus is going with you. Look, I'm not talking about recognizing Jesus' presence as some judgmental judge looking over your shoulder, keeping score. I'm saying Jesus is with you. Brother Lawrence, a 17th century monk, put it this way. He called it practicing the presence of Jesus. Just realize he's there with you when you have that issue at work. He's there with you when you have that issue in your home. When you want to know, what do I do? We're going into that meeting. What should I say? Just recognize his presence and rest in it. 
Because the more aware you are of Jesus' presence with you, the more in tune you are with His kingdom. The kingdom of God is where God's power is displayed. It's where God's presence is experienced. And number three, it's where the purposes of God are realized. The kingdom of heaven is where the purposes of God are realized. Why? Because the heart of any kingdom is that the will of the king be done. There's no kingdom if people just smile and wave when the king shows up and say, we love the king, we support the king, and then when the king moves on, they never do what the king desires. That's not a kingdom. You're in the kingdom of God when you're doing the heart of the king's work. That's why Jesus, in that model prayer, says in Matthew 6, 10, we should pray and say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's always a connection between the kingdom of God and the will of God. Now, obviously, the will of God is not always done on earth, right? Five minutes on Facebook to prove that point. But that doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is not here. The kingdom of God is anywhere God's purposes are being fulfilled. See, this part of the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that's not just a prayer for a future hope. Church, those are our marching orders that we are to be about. The king's business right here. So one of the parables Jesus told about the kingdom of God, he said it's like a farmer who went out and planted good wheat seeds in a good field. But that night his enemy snuck into the field and sowed seeds of weeds. And when the crop started to come up, the workers could see there's wheat and there's weeds and they're all mixed in together. And so they go to the farmer and say, do you want us to go in and pull the weeds? And the farmer says, not yet. If you pull them now, it'll be hard for you to tell the difference between the wheat and the weeds. And you'll accidentally pull up some weeds. Wait until both plants are mature. Because the longer they mature, the more obvious it is the difference. Then, then we will separate the weeds from the wheat. He didn't say, no, let's give up that field and come back later. No, the kingdom of God is in the same places that the kingdom of the enemy rules when the people of God put his purposes into practice. Henry Blackaby, a a Bible teacher from a previous generation, used to put it this way. He said, you want to be a part of the kingdom? Look around and see where God is already at work and join him there. Because the more we engage in God's purposes in this world, the more the kingdom of God will be experienced in this world. Remember when Jesus sent out his followers, like towards the very end of his earthly ministry, he sent 72 of his followers out in groups of two. He said, go out to all the villages, hamlets, towns, help the hurting people, heal the sick, do all of that. But look at what he says before he sends them out, Luke 10, 7. He says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Do you catch that? Every time you help a hurting person, you're advancing the kingdom of God. Every time you show forgiveness and grace and mercy to someone who hurt you and doesn't deserve it, 
That is the kingdom of God. Every time you take the time to listen to a lonely, hurting person who has no one else to talk to, that's the kingdom of God. Every time I take my eyes off of myself to look, see the needs, and meet the needs of the people around me, that is the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is when the purposes of God get done. You know, we started this message with a question. What is the kingdom of God? Can you define it? Can you explain it? I hope that you have a little better idea now. I hope you have a little more sense of the kingdom of God now than when you came in here. But if you do, then let me remind you of Jesus' words. Seek that kingdom above all else. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we want to be a part of your kingdom. In our individual lives, in the life of this, your church, in our community, in our country, and in our world. But, Father, I confess before the people that I love that I have not often been focused on your kingdom, but on every kingdom around me. Father, I ask that you would forgive me when I've lived for the kingdom of me and what I want and what I prefer. Father, forgive me when I've I've been distracted from your kingdom by the shiny things in the kingdom of this world. Father, we need your power for your kingdom to break out of these walls, for your kingdom to flow through the streets of Aiken and Batesburg and Hookstown, and Ghana, and everywhere else, Lord. We want to see your kingdom advance. So God, let that begin in our hearts. Pour out your power, not for the glory of a church or a glory of any other name, but the name of Jesus, the King of all kings. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.